On today's episode of Survival Dispatch News, we're discussing grid down and how you can prepare for it. Today's video is brought to you by Energy. They're an Idaho-based company that makes some of the most rugged power stations that we've ever laid hands on. They've also won several DOD contracts, which is one heck of an endorsement. On top of which, they have a focus on EMP protection that we have not seen from any other power station manufacturer. Check out the link below for energytech.com if you'd like to learn more. And we're back with Steve and Dan from Anything Outdoors with Steve. Good to see you all. Yep, thank you for having us back, Chris. Yep. Well, I mean, we, we kind of had to have you all back because you're like the resident experts on uh, electrical stuff. So whether it's uh, Steve being an electrician or your background in the you know tech industry and electronics and all that sort of stuff, Dan, uh, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge with the Survival Dispatch audience. So I don't know if you guys have heard it, but our audience has cer- certainly heard me say multiple times, you know, we've become a first world country with a third world power grid. Uh, Steve, can you kind of expand on that a little bit? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So we've got uh, three main power grids in the United States. You've got the East Coast, West Coast and Texas, and they are fairly isolated between them. They do have some infrastructure going between, but they are fairly isolated. And the way the substations work, if you took out about a dozen substations, uh, strategic substations, you could potentially take down the entire grid. And so that's scary in itself. And it ends up being a cascade effect where you take down one substation and it overloads the next one. And it just automatically starts pocking all these transformers because they're being overloaded. And so they do have load breaks available for a lot of these to prevent that from happening, but sometimes those fail as well. So it is a very scary scenario to where somebody that's nefarious could do a lot of damage or just, you know, your, your local teen with a pellet gun. <laughs> so it's, it could yeah. be something really bad. And I, mean, I presume we- there, there's probably not an inventory of, of stock waiting to be waiting to absolutely not components yeah a lot of this stuff is overseas components yeah from what i've read that we average as a country somewhere around 20 plus acts of vandalism per year and that's physical acts of vandalism like somebody going and shooting out transformers i have not seen any numbers on how many power stations have been or substations have been attacked over the network you know from you know clandestine adversaries and i've also uh read and been told that you know we don't manufacture transformers domestically and if we do it's not very much we typically get them from germany uh they come across on a shipping container they take the container off they put it on a rail line and they send it to wherever the substation is they have a crane there picks it up and installs it so i think the lead time the last thing i last time i read on this was about 18 months so it's no joke very well yeah it could be a lot longer if you start having multiple components that need to be replaced too because even those manufacturing places they don't necessarily have stock on hand either and they have to custom make a lot of these transformers they're not something that they just have on hand and beyond that the infrastructure itself around it is aging too so you've got more and more frequent instances where the power grid is dropping because of the infrastructure beyond the substations and And so it, so malicious, yeah. malicious, uh, you know, vulnerability aside, you know, terrorists and and so on, or just you know, naughty boys. Um, yeah, things wear out, storms happen, things go down. 
Yes. We're very vulnerable. Yes. I, yeah, and I, I think that's the key. We have a very vulnerable power grid. I mean, last time y'all were on, we discussed EMPs. We know how vulnerable we are to that. We're vulnerable to vandalism. We're vulnerable to Mother Nature taking this stuff down. I mean, Lord knows we know that here in, in Florida, you know, with hurricanes. And, you know, this is anecdotal, of course, but we've seen a higher frequency of grid down situations here and lasting longer than ever before. So. Yes. You know, you maybe we could be more common. Yeah. I mean, we might have like a, a thunderstorm come through. And in the past, maybe it was like a matter of hours or a day that the grid's down. Maybe uh -huh. When our power goes out here, it's a minimum of two or three days now. And if it's a hurricane, it could be weeks. You know, we've I've lived through yeah. it where we've gone without power for three plus weeks. And there's places close to us here like uh, New Smyrna after Charlie spanked us. That was a cat five. There yes. were parts of New Smyrna Beach that went three months with no power. So yeah. it sucks. Big time. Anecdotally, anecdotally, uh, we lost our power with a windstorm a couple years back. Ours was restored within the day. Our neighbors just across the street were a week and a half before they got wow. their power restored. Wow. And just that little separation. You know, and, so and, and they're sitting over there thinking, man, what did I do to piss off the power guys? That's right. <laughs> So, exactly. I mean, this episode of Survival Dispatch News, the crux of it really is, is what can people do to prepare for grid down? And we're going to hear more and more on grid down stuff. So we've, we've got a few examples of things, um, you know, something small like this, this X torch. And by the way, we don't have an affiliate relationship with them or anything. Uh, solar powered has three lights on it has a USB port on it. So, you know, these are fairly cheap. I don't recall the exact price of it, but I, I want to say it's around $30. So if you had something like this, at the very least, you could charge your phone up um, and, light. you know, may, have a light, have some connectivity. So if maybe like a, a college student who's on a budget, the, mm -hmm. it'd be pretty handy to have something like this. Yeah. Uh, the next step up would be, you know, to get into a a, a battery power bank of some sort, this one's 10,000 milliamps. I mean, you can get them 50,000 milliamps and whatnot, depending on your budget, but, you know, a bunch of different USB ports on it to charge your devices. Uh, you could always add a small solar panel to this for a very, you know, small amount of money. And then from there, you might move into something like, I, I would qualify it as, like, say, the 400 to 700 watt power station range. They're, they're pretty reasonable. Um, I know these guys here, all powers, they had a special on not too long ago where this 700 watt power station plus 110 watt uh, sol folding solar panel, I think it was like $389. I mean, that that's pretty reasonable for what it is. Um, and then from there, you could go into something like, a, say, a 1500 watt hour power station. They average about 1500 bucks. I mean, you can get them a little bit cheaper, a little bit more, but that's kind of an average price. And then you could always add solar panels to that. And then uh, the next thing up will be one of, you know, small generator. This one just so happens to be propane, but whether it's gas or propane, you can buy a cheap generator for about 500 bucks. And yes. then the next step up from there, we get into some sort of whole home uh, power station, uh, you know, and you now you can spend 3,500 to $10,000. Uh, this one is like $6,200 list price, but there's always sales. And then, of course, you could add solar panels or something like that. Uh, then the the next step up would be by getting into generators, uh, like whole home generators. And actually, actually, between the uh, the little generator and this power station, you could go to you know a 
8,500 watt generator, that sort of thing, before you have to get into a whole home generator. And then the Mac Daddy would be, you know, a solar PV system, photovoltaic cells with the Tesla wall, uh, you know, average house here in Florida, at least sixty to $80,000 for that investment. So let, let's go right back to the beginning and I'll cover our first couple of little cheap things just to get them out of the way. And then I'd like you all to subject matter experts on this topic to discuss the pros and cons. So obviously one of the pros of this is it's cheap. The con to it is it's not going to provide a whole lot of functionality. You got a light and maybe you can charge your phone. Um, yeah, you're, you're giving up uh, portability for what its capacity is. Right. Uh, then you get into these small power banks. Again, they're not super expensive. You can buy like a really decent one for about a hundred bucks. Um, oh, that's yeah. even more milliamp hours than this. Uh, so you can charge a few more devices, whereas you might only charge one on this. You can pair it up with a small uh, solar panel. But then the next step up from there, I'm going to turn it over to you all now, is to get into like that four to 700 watt uh, power station range. What do you see as the pros and cons um, now that we're getting into stuff that's costing? Yeah. So, so now you're, you're again, portability for, for capacity again, because it is a smaller unit. Um, so you are very limited to the power loads. You're able to run on those things. Um, the the biggest issue I see with those is uh, whether or not it's got a, a clean power or not. And a lot of them do promote having a pure sine wave. And I can touch on the, the importance of that. Um, so I drew up real quick a, a few sine wave just for a visual. So the top okay. one being pure sine wave, the second one is a square sine wave, and then you've got two versions of modified sine waves, uh, one stepped and one's modified. And so that gives a good visual of what the sine wave gets converted to when you've got dirty power. Uh, that square sine wave ends up being about 48% THD, which is your total harmonic distortion. And that's what affects your motor loads and your electronics drastically. Can I, can I interject yeah. a layman's question here? Um, so what you're talking about, let me make sure I understand what, what you mean by a clean clean power supply. A dirty power supply is anomalous voltage, so over voltage, under voltage, fluctuations in voltage, um, frequency. Uh, high frequency waveforms, mm -hmm. what is, it, is that called? Harmonics, I believe. Uh, it's it's the variations within that frequency that are called the harmonics. So all of the all of these things are death to modern electronics. They are. Yeah, they are very detrimental. Um, the issue that's the biggest are your electronic devices. So whether it's your HVAC system, your your house furnace, a lot of them have a motherboard that's only capable of handling up to a certain uh, harmonic distortion and sometimes it's only down to eight percent total harmonic distortion and so some of the cheaper generators and inverters and whatever uh, portable battery packs if they don't have a clean sine wave it can destroy thousands of dollars of equipment real fast um, it, it will run for a while and what that uh, harmonic distortion turns into is heat and it's heat that kills the electronics and heat that kills the motor windings. So, okay, yeah, and I was just gonna say, so one vulnerability is the electronic piece, you know, logic boards, motherboards, and then the other one is electric motors, correct? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And some so, of those motors can be thousands of dollars. The electronic boards, you might be waiting weeks before you can get a new one. 
And it, so it, when you're power outage, you don't have necessarily an alternate means because you're yeah. relying on this unit, this generator, whatever it may be to run your house, run your total loads. And now you have to buy a new refrigerator because your power has been out for a week and a new furnace and, you know, the list goes on. So you save a few hundred dollars on a generator, but you have to spend thousands to replace equipment. So assuming somebody's watching this video and they they have a generator or power station or whatever, and this tweaks them and they go pull up the specifications and it, it doesn't specify it's a pure sine wave what can they run off of that generator or power station without destroying it? Yeah, the, the best things to run off those are resistive loads. So whether it's your uh, Edison light bulbs, the, the filament light bulbs, not the LEDs, but the yeah. LEDs will run. That's a minimal cost replacement at least. Uh, so you could still run your lighting. You can still run uh, any resistive loads, whatever it may be. Resistance heater. Yes, your uh, toaster, resistance heater, hair dryers, you know, things like that that have just an element inside, not a lot of electronics. Um, some of the electronics are more robust where they can handle it for quite a while. Uh, even computers can handle a dirty sine wave for a while. Uh, it's hard on their power supply, and that's, that's where it's trying to clean up that power within the power supply. And... Ultimately, it does create more heat within that computer. So you want to limit the time that you're on it. So the good news is, is like if Steve and I or Dan and I, pardon me, had a, you know, something producing dirty power that we could still use our hairdryer. You can still exactly, use your hairdryer. Exactly. Right, yeah, we're, so we're good. That's what I'm all about. <laughs> but I mean, you, you can run the devices, but you want to definitely limit the exposure they have to the dirty power. Gotcha. So, Keep that in mind when you're running things that you want to just limit it if you've got one of those devices. And it's like pulling teeth trying to get it from the manufacturer. There was a big box store selling a generator that was triple fuel. So you could run gasoline, natural gas, and propane, which is really attractive for yes. that type of setup. But they didn't list what they were using for their inverter on that generator. So you don't know. And I had to call them and directly talk to one of the manufacturer's uh, design team to get that number out of them. And it ended up being 20% THD, which is the stepped sine wave. And so it's it's very harmful to electronics over a long period of time. Amazing. So uh, if we move up from the, you know these smaller power stations, yes. Say the one that's like around 1500 watts, like this one here, yeah. uh, pros and cons to something like this. The expandability of those devices is what's really, I mean, it's a portable device, but still you've got modular expansion. That is really the key to that type of device. Um, and it depends on the outlets that they have contained on them as far as what you can run. Some of them will have a a uh, 30 amp outlet on it to where you can run maybe even a motorhome RV, whatever it right, might be, yeah. variable loads to where if you can't run anything else, at least you've got that. And you can right. essentially have a warm place to sleep at night and uh, be able to contain that unit within. Uh, you can still tie it to some loads within your house. And uh, so that's where some of the bigger units come into play because some of them will offer a 240 volt power, uh, split right. phase power to them. To where you can potentially tie it into your electrical panel and they've got everything from an emergency panel available to a cheap little metal slider plate that turns off your main breaker when you turn on that generator or alternate powered okay. device so you can actually have it wired into your panel with even a smaller device that offers 240 volt and it just turns off your main breaker when you turn it on 
And so that's the only legal way to tie it to your panel is to have some sort of load break where you're turning off the power downstream so you're not electrifying the yeah. transformer downstream. Right. So when we get into so, these, so, you know, cheaper one, one point I'd like to interject regarding yeah. um, solar, if you're relying on solar power, so stripping photons from sunlight to, to recharge your device, for you people living in, the land of eternal suns we're <laughs> basking in your 85 degrees while we're you know we have it snowing outside up here up in the north where we vampires live there's not a lot of sunlight and there there's not a lot of photons in the winter in the winter months it's going to take a long time to get any kind of charge on any solar device i mean even the yard lights that have that have very minimal um amperage requirements when the light is burning an all day charge will give you you know maybe, hours. maybe a couple of hours of really minimal light so if you're if you're in the north you might not want to rely on the sun to be your you know, primary primary yeah. source of power yeah that's it's, that's a good, a good point backup. i've seen some uh, uh solar farms in upstate new york and to try and uh, maximize what they're getting out of them they've got motors on them so the declination stays yeah. as perpendicular to the sun as possible because we, we've had actually on survival dispatch we've shown how you can take one of these solar panels and move in a matter of 10 degrees and you could go from 60 yeah. 70 watts down to 30 watts of input just like that so yeah, yeah point well taken you know the angle to the sun we don't have a lot of choices here in florida with regards to solar panel angles because of hurricane loads so mm -hmm. i, I don't quote me on this, but last time I checked, it was, I think, 10 degrees maximum is, is all you could uh, put the angle of solar panels. Any more yeah. than that, we risk hurricane force winds coming and grabbing and off they go. Yeah. So moving up from there, getting into like these $500 generators, whether it's a, you know, an ALP propane generator like this or, a, you know, yes. an economical gas generator, pros and cons of that, Steve? Yeah, usually when I'm giving advice to people, I tend to direct them towards the most inexpensive device first, whether it's to, to power the loads in the house that they need. So I am usually directing them towards a generator first and then building from that on. And so those smaller generators are excellent. They can run a lot of loads in your house. And it's amazing how little a refrigerator actually draws right. and uh, different devices like that that are the most important to keep running. And so even those little Honda inverter generators that are 1,000, 2,000 watts, you can run quite a bit in your house without giving up too much and still be able to have your furnace running. So just an interesting point on these ALPs. I've, I've had the opportunity to speak of the, the founder and the guy who designed these. He's been doing these for years. Uh, they can be daisy chained together, unlimited number. That's, so, that's perfect. You know, you spend 500 bucks when you have it. And you spend another 500. Yeah box and daisy chain it and you know yep. get your wattage output to where you want or need it to be which is yeah. a pretty cool feature i mean i guess you know if we're talking grid down there's different levels of grid down and you know if we have an extended grid down from an emp as we've discussed before uh you're probably gonna run out of fuel so but i wouldn't rely just on something that burns propane or gas sorry dan or yeah the, the nice thing about propane is it lasts forever so you don't have to yeah. worry about rotating like your stock yeah Unlike, yeah, so, unlike I fuel fuel. so I keep my fuel cans rotated constantly yeah. and I'm every week switching out fuel. 
and Valid. keep a constant rotation on it. And I just dump that fuel in my car and, and then fill it up again for the generator in, in the event that there's a prolonged power outage. But the generator's purpose is not a full-time running either. It's it's there sure. to charge my battery bank, which I've added on. Yeah, and we've touched on that before. Dan, go ahead. Yeah, so, yeah, we touched on that a little bit. So, you know, I have a real-life situation where I have a, a rural farm, farmhouse in, in Thailand, and it's way, way at the edge of the grid, which is a, a kind of tentative power supply at best. You know, you'll be sitting there, at eight and eight o'clock at night and without any warning you know you're in the dark you learn in these kind of situations what your real power requirements are what your yes. mandatory power requirements are and they're they're actually a lot less than you know americans we we have luxury we you know you walk through the american house and there's lights on everywhere and you know the, the dogs the dog house wi-fi is on or whatever and <laughs> really when you start calculating your your real power requirements, it's it's quite minimal. Yeah, you know your refrigerator, your freezer. I I have a a well, so I need the pump to be able to pump the water up into the pressure tower. That's it, and and then and then a light bulb so you can see where you're going. And when you calculate the the wattage requirements, it's it's pretty minimal. Yeah, and when I'm talking about sizing generators and and battery banks. Those are the key elements that you have to look at is water pumps. So if you do have a well or even sewer pump, which is extremely detrimental if that stops working, yeah. hopefully your water stops first. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's there's one viewer that's going to be watching this that he's got a sewer pump. And, and if that thing goes down, he's got that stuff backing up into his house. So sure, he kept his well going, but he doesn't have enough power to keep that thing going. Then that becomes an emergency real fast. So size it off of those loads first, and that's where you want to continue from there. And then it might it might be worth saying that you know maybe some people that are watching this you know their eyes glass over and they and they think wow it'd be nice if I had wheelbarrows full of money to to buy lots and lots of equipment and you know this is a this is a extravagance that I can't afford. I would say it's one of the most basic requirements that we have, you know, for our survival, especially if it's cold outside yes. or, you know, or if your refrigerator goes off or your freezer goes off, how much, how much money did you lose if everything in your refrigerator and freezer goes down? Yeah. And compare yeah. that to the price of a, of a, of an okay generator. Yeah. It's, it's a worthwhile expense. Um, Another thing that a lot of us do in in first world countries, we we think, oh, catastrophes, that's what happens to other people. It doesn't happen to me, right? Yeah. Right, until, yeah. until it does. <laughs> and it's becoming more and more common to where that power grid is down instead of for a day or two, for a week or two. And so more people are realizing this, the more taxing loads that we have on there as we're adding EVs to the to the grid, it's affecting it greatly. So uh, just back to your comments on sizing, oh. you know, a generator, yeah. or battery backup power station, those sort of things. Obviously, pretty much everything has all those specifications on the, the device or appliance, or you can always go look it up online. But uh, we have a little device here as well that um, yep. we don't always find that the manufacturer specs are what's actually being drawn by that device. So these are pretty cheap. You plug they in are. 
the socket, then you plug the, the cord into this and let it run and it will tell you what the average load is. You can even put in what your price per kilowatt hour is and it'll, yes. it'll tell you precisely how much some particular device uh, burned up. So it's, it's kind of a handy little, uh, anybody who's like uh, into tech geek stuff like that likes this kind of stuff, you know, so, you know. Well, and it does, it's more information is better because now you know exactly what your refrigerator is drawing per day or exactly what your, well, you can't really hook it up to your furnace, but they do have right. uh, CTs that you can hook up around that line too, to where you can extrapolate that data too. And that data is very important as to what your real requirements are. And yeah. still, even with that, it doesn't have to run all day either. You can True. run it for a couple hours and then turn it off. And then six hours later, turn it back on. Yeah, and I think I've been at a low temp. I think I mentioned in a previous uh, discussion we had that uh, general rule of thumb here in Florida is if you run your refrigerator for 45 minutes during a grid down situation, so powered off your generator or whatever, it'll keep the food fresh for about 24 hours. So, yeah. you know, 45 minutes to an hour a day on a refrigerator is, is pretty good practice. So moving up from like a small generator to something a, a, a little bit larger, let's talk, uh, let's talk something like in the 8,500 watt to, you know, 10,000 watt generator, yes. how, mu how much they cost and what the pros and cons are there before we jump into the larger power stations. Yes. Yeah. Some of the larger generators, you can get 240 volt out of them. And so now you can start tying them to your panel, even though they're portable generators, you still can tie them to your panel. And so people that are looking at that standalone unit right outside their house that runs on propane, that other option is available. And as he was mentioning, you don't have to run everything in your house. So those will power quite a bit of your house loads and you don't have to shed too much. So yeah. shedding power loads is what you typically are required to do with those cheaper generators, which is fine. You can get through the, the scenario at least and and, and uh, not have things go to waste in your refrigerators and freezers and still have water and still have uh, your sewer pumped. But <laughs> a lot of that stuff still requires the heavier duty uh, generators to, to power those motors. Yeah, uh, but if you if say, you know, again, uh, like Dan brought up, people's budgets and whatnot um, yes. if you got into a slightly larger like not these little thousand watt uh yeah. generators, you got into something that's got some more power behind it i you know 2500 to 3500 dollar range um, yes. oh, you yeah. can get a generator that'll power a lot of stuff in your house uh yeah. the you know, the pros are the cost versus what you get for it is pretty darn good mm -hmm. uh but on the cons because they're portable, they're they could be stolen. I, I think I mentioned you all before about people during uh, Charlie Hurricane Charlie. You know, they'd show up at people's houses in the middle of the night, fire up a lawnmower that they paid thirty bucks for on Craigslist, and walk off with the person's portable generator. And the person think oh, generator still running. Get up in the morning, it was gone. Uh, yeah. And the other thing is, you got to have fuel. So yeah. when we have extended power outages here. Uh, there's nothing to pump gas at the gas stations either. So mm -hmm. those are some of the cons as well, which kind of dovetails into like the, the next jump up from a portable generator will be like a, a larger power station like this one here, which is 6,000 watt hours. And yeah. I, I'm talking uh, cost wise larger. And, but the thing is, and we mentioned before, uh, you could spend $6,000 on this, but put a hundred dollar solar panel with it and get 30% mm -hmm. back on your on your tax return. So in reality you're paying about $4,000. Yeah. 
uh, for that type of battery backup. And, you know, I recommend that people utilize your strategy, Steve, where they run yeah. their generator, power that sucker up, run it for an hour, shut it down. Yeah. You know, to make your but gas you still have power throughout yeah, the day. But you could, you got, say, two 10 gallon jugs of, or jerry cans of fuel, you can stretch it out to about 20 days. If you have something like that to store the power and you don't have to worry that, holy cow, I can't get gas for it. But give me mm -hmm. what, in, in your opinion, what do you think the pros and cons would be for, for that type of system? It does do 240 split phase. It's got 6,000 yes. watt hour battery in it. Fairly expensive. And as you saw when I picked it up, fairly heavy. Um, yeah. So give me your pros and cons on well, that. Well, and that's precisely where I tend to lead people is get that cheap per watt power first, get that generator. And you could potentially size the generator smaller if you get one of those units, because now you've got more available capacity on demand and you don't need a big generator to power it. Okay. So you can charge that battery bank over a couple hours and that large impulse for the motor loads is taken care of by this unit. And so that's the perfect little segue into that type of unit is you can downsize your generator and get a good one and one that'll last a long time too, and then have it just supplement this type of unit. And yeah. being that it's 240 volt, you can grid tie it to your panel, but you have to make sure it's only legal to tie it to your panel if you have some sort of disconnect means between the main breaker and your panel so you're not powering things down line. So I have a question regarding that, again, from a layman's perspective. So when we had the big windstorm not so long ago and all the trees fell down and all the power went out, I saw people, not everybody's an electrician like Steve and can wire, you know, you know, rockets to the moon and so on. Right. But, <laughs> but it, you don't have to be, it doesn't require a lot of technical expertise. You have an extension cord, you have a generator, push the on button and Single point device. Yeah, single point chart. Keep, get your refrigerator going for an hour. Um, switch it to the freezer. You know, cool your yeah. freezer off again. Um, there you go. You know, we all know how to plug in an extension cord. But if somebody were in a position, they already have the investment in the generator. Mm -hmm. Now we would like to integrate that into our electrical infrastructure in our house. What's the most cost-effective and practical way to do that? Manual transfer switch is the legal route. Um, you cannot do any type of panel tie legally, stress that, <laughs> without having some sort of manual transfer switch to where it turns off that main breaker. And so you're not feeding things down line. And a manual transfer switch you can get for a couple hundred dollars automatic. It goes into the three or four hundred dollar range. So I, I should back up. It's from eighty dollars to a couple hundred dollars for the manual. Okay. And then the automatics range from that two to three, four hundred dollar range, depending on the load capacity that the switch has. And so they are fairly inexpensive to be able to tie that generator or that power bank to your panel that way. And that's really the only legal way to do so is, and they've got it even down to a, like I was talking about before, a little metal plate that goes from a two pole breaker to a main breaker. So when you turn on the two pole breaker to apply power from that power bank to your panel, it turns off the main breaker at the same time. That little metal plate is 20 bucks wow. and it just tied between those two breakers. And so that single throw pulls both of them. And so it's, 
like quick question since we're kind of moving up in cost now yes. especially when you get to these these larger uh, power stations what are the considerations and the different types of batteries that these things have um yes uh the the batteries that they typically contain once you start getting into the higher end units are the lifepo batteries uh lithium iron phosphate and they have a really nice battery setup to where it's 5000 cycle charges on it uh, before it starts dropping down to about 80 percent uh, capacity on them so that same wattage that you've got initially remains for 5,000 cycles is pretty impressive they're lightweight by comparison to lead acid batteries and they are sensitive to temperature though so you have to keep them in a fairly warm climate you put them outside okay. in the cold they don't last very long and they may not even work in the cold it, yeah so uh, the, just anecdotal story uh we had a cold snap here and it was much worse north of here during the christmas holidays and uh, there was a article in the local newspaper that somebody had rented a tesla and traveled from here to virginia and they had to stop something like 12 13 times to charge the car up because as they got into colder and colder environments yeah. Yeah. They, they couldn't get the mileage out of it. And I'm not suggesting that that's the case with all Teslas or anything like that. Cause I think there was something mentioned in that article that this car had quite a few miles on it. And I, I want to say that once you get to somewhere around 80,000 miles on Teslas, you, you're probably looking at replacing the batteries for uh, you know, a handsome sum of money. But bottom yes. line was, is the person who rented it was not aware that in colder climates that these lithium ion batteries, they don't like it. Yes. Yeah, and those are lithium ion, not LifePo. Um, right. Tesla was looking at using LifePo batteries for their more inexpensive cars, the, the cheaper lines, and uh, surely because it is more cost effective to get those type of batteries in there. But they do have the same issue where temperature affects them greatly. Very interesting. Okay, so now that we're kind of moving up the food chain in yes. cost and whatnot, we get into whole home generators. So typically powered by whether it be diesel, propane, or natural gas, yes. pros and cons of something like that, Steve, and average well, cost to, to install. Yeah, they, they've run up in cost from there. So they, they can start around $10,000 for a whole house generator. And some of them are a little bit cheaper. It depends on what you're getting, but the quality has gone down so much over the years too, that, you may not even be getting a pure sine wave with those. And so you're looking at something that may not be feasible for your house, even though it's designed for your house. So you have to do a lot of research on those before you get into something like that and see if that's what you want to do. The pro is nobody's stealing it without a lot of work. And if you have natural gas or propane tied, you can store those fuels, not the natural gas, but the propane, you can store that fuel indefinitely as long as it doesn't leak out of the tank. So you can get a large propane tank on your property and power other things from it too, like your range and your hot water. And so that way during the power outage, you still have some of those sources. And even if it's a backup and you've got the means to be able to provide for that type of setup, it works really well as a backup means. And so you can have that propane generator run for a really long time. And even some of the smaller portable generators, same scenario, you can tie them to propane. And uh, you just have to make sure it's a dual fuel type generator. Yeah, I've had um, several uh, Generac whole home gener uh, generators in the 20 plus KW range. And yes. something like that installed here now in Florida, you'd be looking at about $15,000. Yes. You yeah. Put a 1200 gallon propane tank in your backyard, get ready to shell out a few grand just for the fuel. 
you know. Yeah, that's filler. exactly what I was referring to as the cost of the device only. Uh, once you get it installed, even things like the Tesla power walls, you have a price point for the power wall. That's not including installation. So what they're showing you on the website does not include installation. And you can be out another $5,000 to safely have that within your garage and tied to your panel by the time you're done. So I, again, I have a fair bit of experience in solar here in Florida, yes. a commercial and residential. So uh, Tesla dealers hate Tesla. And the reason they do that is Tesla will advertise a, a 13,000 watt hour Tesla Powerwall for $10,000. The dealers are when they come out and they quote it with all the fees, you know, the permits, the the install, all the accessories that go with it. It's twenty thousand dollars here in Florida for a te one Tesla Powerwall to be installed. So then the people yeah. are like, ah, "I saw Tesla advertising for ten thousand dollars." Well, then when Tesla sends somebody out and adds it all up, it's still twenty thousand dollars. But yeah. the dealers are forbidden from for saying that. So Tesla you know, eating a lot of business that would go to their dealers by saying, hey, you get Tesla Powerwall for $10,000 and the dealers are quoting 20,000 installed and it's an apples to oranges comparison. It's not fair. Yeah. Um, and people need to be aware of that from an expectation standpoint, that if you see a yeah. Tesla Powerwall, 13,000 watt hours for 10,000, that's just the Powerwall. That's not installed or any accessories that go with it. Yeah. And I feel a little bad for the people that inadvertently just buy the power wall and have a chip to their house and then have to look at getting it installed yeah. because now they're already invested and they can't necessarily return that without losing a bit of money right off the top too. So, so yeah, that's, I, I really do feel bad for some of those people, but, um, and that kind of goes in line with the generator too. the whole home generator, you buy the generator itself. You still have to install that. And if you're getting natural gas, you have to pay that natural gas guy to bring a pipe over to it, have a regulator put on it. And so there's additional costs involved in all that setup. And the propane ends up sometimes being cheaper, even though you have to buy a tank, because you don't have to necessarily bring natural gas all the way to it. And so that can add a lot of cost to a device like that. Um, so the diesel side of it, you're very limited on capacity and you have to run that diesel out. Yeah. Otherwise, it, it gets old. Yeah. Uh, just back to the security thing you were mentioning, you know, a whole home generator, not as subject to being stolen as a portable generator, which is a valid point. I'm going to say for at least the past 15 years, Generac has had an anti-theft uh, built into their generator, whole home generators, where when you hook it up, you have to call Generac, give them the serial number, provide proof of purchase, uh, connect it to your Wi-Fi. And if that generator senses that has been unbolted and then picked up even a couple inches, you have to call them back to get a new code to punch into it. So if somebody were to come and unbolt it from a slab and throw it in the back of a truck and take it somewhere and try uh -huh. to fire it up, it won't go past idle. It'll go up to a thousand RPM and that's it. And you've got to, there's no way around it. It, it is completely disabled. <laughs> I, I wonder how well that works through an earthquake if you have to call them up afterwards and Hope, Good, hope question. Not. Good question. I, I can't answer that question. Oh, no. But so earthquake powers down and I have to call Generac and their lines are busy. <laughs> safe to say if you're going to do a whole home generator uh, installed, uh, probably fifteen to twenty thousand dollars here in Florida. Yes, you're you're probably in a fairly sizable investment by the time you get to that. And Absolutely. the downside to all these motor generators is noise. Uh they do have 
quieter generators in the smaller package, but once you get bigger, they do have decent mufflers on them to kind of keep that sound down. Yep. But the other segue to the theft side is vandalism. So you may have a disgruntled neighbor that they see your lights are on and, and they hear that motor running after about three or four days and their power is still out. They may want to take a little crack shot at that generator just to shut it up. When uh, when Sandy came through, it was a tropical storm, and then it went out to sea. And by the time it hit uh, uh, New Jersey, New York, it was back up to, I think, to a Cat 1 hurricane. But we lost our power in our neighborhood, um, for, I don't know, maybe four or five days, something like that. We were the only ones who had power. Yeah. And we, we could power everything. So And it was hot. You know, so we had a couple AC units running. Mm-hmm. We could power everything in the house except for the hot tub. We tested it. We turned everything on and we still only hit about 75% load. Okay. Yeah. So the last option uh, that people can consider, the Mac Daddy, the one that really costs big bucks, would be a solar PV system. So photovoltaic cells and yes. adding a Tesla power wall because if, if you don't, or some battery backup. You don't have a battery backup when the sun goes down, you have no electricity. So they kind of go hand in hand. Sixty to eighty thousand dollars here in the state of Florida for the average house to have an appropriately sized PV system, uh, plus a battery backup. So uh, give our audience an idea. And obviously that's a barrier to entry. You know, you've got it's pretty expensive. Now again, you get your 30% federal tax credit, which is pretty substantial. So you go, say, from 60000 down to 42000 but that's a lot of money to most people. And uh, so that's obviously one of the cons. And I suppose another con would be in y'all's neck of the woods, uh, you know, not having the strength of sun that we have here in Florida. But give, give me, give us, give the Survival Dispatch audience the pros and cons as you see it for buying a whole home solar PV system plus battery backup. Yes, and that's usually the third phase that I offer people too. Is is once you've got your battery backup system, your generator first, your battery backup second, some sort of panel tie just so you can run silently some power recharge to those batteries, whether or not you're using your generator. So the the nice thing about that is typically once you get a properly sized solar array, you can charge a battery bank fairly rapidly. So it doesn't take a whole lot of sunlight to do so. Even if you've got a cloudy day, you're still generating off a 10,000 kilo or sorry, 10 kilowatt system. You're still generating a few thousand watts on a cloudy day. So you're still getting some power into those batteries at least. And that's very helpful to where you don't have to run that generator as often or even at all. Um, That's, that's kind of the biggest long-term plan that you can have is, is some sort of solar panels. Um, you can buy them separately and have a separate grid, maybe not in Florida where you've got hurricane and high winds, but uh, for our area, I can just set up panels along the side of my garage and collect the sunlight during the day, wrap them all up, throw them back in the garage when I'm done. And so I don't have to have an array on the house yeah. necessarily. And they're making more and more efficient panels every day. So now you're able to get a 550 watt panel that's fairly portable still. And and uh, that's really impressive when you compare that to the old days of 50, 50 watts for that same size panel, 100 watts. And so they're really getting efficient technology down for these solar panels to where they are becoming more viable as a setup and you don't need as many of them to power your house. Um, the 
standard household uses a lot less power than what they probably uh, think they use. And when you've got a power outage, you don't necessarily need to run all those devices. You can start shedding loads to certain areas of your house if you don't need that power there. Um, one of the biggest is resistive electric devices that are for heat. So whether it's hot water or house heat, if it's electric, those are your biggest power draws. And those are the toughest ones to, to keep running in a situation like that. But uh, as far as solar panels go, I still am kind of in the wind category, even up here. Uh, it's, it's something that's worth investing some money into, even if it's at a small scale when you can afford it. Uh, going full on like that, once you start getting into the grid tie where you're running your meter back, now you have to have an automatic transfer switch on that solar array to where it's turning off the power to that solar panel array when there's a power outage, which also means you're not powering your battery bank. So you have to get a workaround for that to then power your battery bank when you've got grid down. So you have to kind of keep that in mind too. There are devices out there that have it all in one now. So it's it's getting better as the years are going on. And in if, if we have a grid down situation here, it's law that you have a disconnect to disconnect the solar panels from the grid, and yep. which is now you essentially you have to have a battery backup because even during the daytime, your solar panels could be generating electricity. You're not allowed to feed that anywhere because of this requirement to to shut them down. So if you have a battery backup, that's the only way you can get power at all during a hurricane if you have solar, even yes. daylight hours. But um, one of the oldest solar installers here in Florida is a very good friend of ours. His name's Bill Gallagher, his company named SolarFit. He started it in 1975 and they've got about 30,000 installs. And I can tell you solar in Florida, the adoption rate is not as high as it is in other states because we've got some very unfriendly, um, you know, power providers, Duke Energy, FPL, et cetera. But uh, I can tell you that the number one solar product in the state of Florida is pool heaters. The number two solar yes. product in the state of Florida is DHW, domestic hot water. And they have a very fast ROI. So you're typically looking six, seven years, 150 gallon tank, solar panel on the roof. And it's 100% paid for with a 30-year warranty on the whole thing. So super yeah. fast ROI on DHW. And then solar PV, I mean, you see them around, but believe it or not, it's not as popular as it is in other states because of all these crazy things that the utility companies have added on to it. But, uh, yes. you know, it's you're right. There's been tremendous advancements in photovoltaic cells. But one of the big differences is American made versus Chinese made. And this is not yes. just a matter of me being adamant that if you can buy American, you should because it keeps the money in our country. But most Chinese panels, if not all of them, are pretty weak. And when they're exposed to a high wind load like we have here in Florida, it breaks mm -hmm. all those interconnects inside of them and they're absolutely useless. So if you look at each of the individual cells, which adds up to an array sort of thing. So the American made ones, there, there's some that's made here in Georgia, some that's made in the West Coast in uh, California, whatnot. Bill loves to do this, this uh, you know, hands-on test for people. So you take a competitor's panel and put it in a Ziploc bag and have the person shake it like that, and it will shatter the cell. And then he'll have them take the one from, say, somebody like SunPower, which is manufactured in Southern California. You can shake it as hard as you want. 
you it won't break it but then you can yeah. take, even snap it over your leg yeah and then he'll take out a multimeter and it shows it still has conductivity because the connection is around the perimeter not through the center with all those tiny ics so just just mm-hmm. from uh again it's anecdotal but my, my um impression and experience if you have a chance to buy america-made solar panels yes. and you can fit it into your budget not only is it more robust when it's exposed to heavy wind loads but some of these cheap chinese panels at 10 years they're generating virtually nothing for power good yeah. american-made power panels like sun power at 30 years are still producing over 90 percent of what they did when they were yes. raised. so and that's you, really impressive too so uh, that helps on your return on investment there too even in the northern states where we've got less solar activity yep. available through the cloud layers. We're still looking at about a 15 to 18 year return on investment yeah. on that with the device. And if your device is not going to last that long, you're not going to get ROI. Having sure. been involved in, in Chinese photovoltaic uh, production over the years, I can concur with what you just said. Um, sorry about that, Chinese friends. But the truth is, um, a lot of the devices coming out of China, yes, they're inexpensive. Um, their initial efficiency might look impressive, but let's see what they look like in a year or in two years. Yes. Or if there's a little bit of dirt oh. on them, or like you said, if the wind blows a bit and some of the connections break. As my and, uncle used to be fond of saying, if you pay him peanuts, we'll send you monkeys. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, uh, they they may advertise a 20 year uh, lifespan on some of these panels just because it's still producing within 80 percent of that original manufacturer spec. But it's how fast it gets down to that 20 percent initially that right. lowers your return on investment as well. And yeah. so even even being 15, 18 years here, that's excluding power rates increasing. So. Yeah. Oh, that factor in there, how fast power rates are increasing and how fast they will increase real soon, because it's going to go skyrocketing once we go all electric, EVs, everything, no natural yep. gas. Those power rates are going to skyrocket. Absolutely. So the investment now might pay for itself really fast. I, I've seen there's not a lot of exhaustive studies, but I have seen a few because it's used in some sales presentations by our friends at SolarFit. But those studies show that if you go into a cookie cutter subdivision, you know, where all that changes is the facade on the front, the houses that have a a whole home solar PV system typically sell for about 15% more when people flip their houses. So I'm not talking brand new house, but, you know, somebody sells their house, you know, seven years after they built it and it's got solar PV and the neighbors sells their place with no solar is about a 15% difference. That's pretty substantial when you start talking hundreds of thousands of dollars for a home. Sure is. Yeah. You know, it could be even more than what you paid for the solar system in the first place, but all right, guys, well, listen, I really appreciate you coming on survival dispatch again. Uh, you know, we'll have you back again, but for everybody out there in survival dispatch land, uh, go check out anything outdoors with Steve. Uh, you'll see Dan and Steve on there doing all sorts of cool stuff outside, uh, hiking, that that kind of stuff. And uh, if you don't mind, uh, if you could like our videos and share them and subscribe, make sure you hit the bell for notification. Leave a comment down below. We'd appreciate it. It really helps with the algorithm. Thanks again, guys. Looking forward to seeing you the next time. Yep. Thank you for having us on. Thanks a lot. It's nice seeing you again.